Well, good evening, everybody. Um, the title for uh, tonight's message is uh, Hope That Will Never Disappoint. And before I get started um, with the message, I just wanted to say that the, uh, the Holy Spirit works in remarkable ways. Um, this morning with Joe's testimony and the message that Sim gave, um, a lot of what they spoke about are main themes and what I'm going to be speaking about tonight. Um, so there are no coincidences with God. Um, this evening, I'm going to be speaking on a topic, and it seems that no matter who you talk to, is struggling with the thought of having hope for the future. Even amongst believers, there is an ongoing struggle of finding hope in the times that we find ourselves living in. Hope in God is a hope that will never disappoint. Hope is what allows your soul to cope. Hope is personal trust in God. We all need hope. It's what motivates us to get going in the morning. Hope is not optimism. Optimism is psychological. Hope is theological. Hope is personal trust in God. Optimism is personal trust in yourself. Before we begin, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open hearts this evening. Lord, I pray that people would find their hope in you. I thank you for the encouragement that I've received from you in studying this word. And even when we feel like we are traveling through the deepest, darkest valley, I pray that you would pull us out of that with your mighty hand. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight who is struggling to find peace and hope in their lives, that your Holy Spirit would refresh them and that they would recommit their lives to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Bible speaks quite a bit about hope. Romans 8.24 says, For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? There are many key verses that speak directly of hope. I think a lot of times when we feel hopeless, whether it's a situation that's causing us to feel that way, or it's a relationship that we're struggling with in our lives, or a disappointment we may be facing. Whatever it is, we sometimes think to ourselves, if this would just change, then maybe, just maybe, I would have some hope or feel some hope. Paul says something amazing in Romans 8, verse 24. He says, who hopes for what he already sees? I think sometimes we look at hope the wrong way. And we think that hope is the changing of a circumstance. I feel like what Paul is saying is that we need hope and we should expect to have hope even before the circumstance begins to change. What I'm talking about is true biblical hope. It's the kind of hope that God wants us to have in Jesus Christ. We only get that hope when we put our faith directly in Him. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That means that we get to be filled with hope when our hope is in Him. 
even when things have not begun to change because we know we get to live with him in eternity because he has set us free with his blood that was shed. That's what our hope is in. Because of God's love, Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross for our sins. That same God, the creator of the universe, not only does he want to be our Lord and our Savior, he wants to be our Father. He wants us to be his children, his sons and daughters. That's even more amazing. If God wants to be our Father and us to be his children, then we get to have hope now, not just for eternity. Romans 8 verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? This verse is amazing because it's a reminder of the love of God. The love he has for his children. God just doesn't want us to believe in Jesus Christ and then wait for the rest of our lives to have hope. He wants us to have hope through his son, Jesus Christ, living inside of us today. I think for unbelievers, it's so easy to look at the cost of Christianity versus the reward. But when we're putting our hope and faith in Jesus Christ, then there's no downside worth mentioning. I love the words that Paul uses in Romans 8, verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As believers, it's easy sometimes for us to come to the Lord and say, I'm not experiencing your love right now. An amazing verse to read when you're feeling that way is Romans 8, verse 37 to 38. It says, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A doubt that arises sometimes as a believer is, I just feel like because of mistakes and things I've done, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve God's love. Let's go back and read Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many times have we read that scripture and it just goes right over our heads? If you're feeling like you don't deserve the love of God right now, just remember that no one deserves it, but it's a free gift despite our sin, despite our mistakes. God wants us to experience his love, not just for eternity, but now. If you're feeling like you don't deserve it, and you're not going to be able to receive it, that's the enemy speaking a lie to you. Because God wants you to experience his love. He wanted you to experience his love so much so that he sent his son to die for you. Another inspiring verse is Psalms 136. 
in this chapter, it actually says the phrase, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And it says this 26 times. I think the reason it is repeated so many times is because God wants us to get it in our heads that he loves us and that his love for us is not going to end and that he wants for us to experience this now and for all eternity. Let me repeat that again. I think the reason it is repeated so many times is because God wants us to get it in our heads that he loves us and that his love for us is not going to end and that he wants for us to experience this now and for all eternity. I think it's easy for us to sometimes think, I'm just going to have to wait to experience that everlasting love until I get to heaven. But Paul also makes it very clear in Romans 5, verse 5, that God doesn't want us to have to wait to experience his love. It says, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Romans 10, verse 11 says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. What this is talking about is putting our faith fully and completely in Jesus Christ. When we believe in him and when we believe the word that was spoken, we're not going to be disappointed. We have to believe that God is simply telling the truth. The message of his love is that Jesus came and died for us. The way we get to experience that hope that doesn't disappoint is that we read his word for what it says and we believe it the way it was written. I'm going to speak now a little bit about the story of Zacchaeus. You're probably wondering to yourself, what does the story of Zacchaeus have to do with hope? But it actually has a lot to do with hope. It was a hopeless situation for a man like Zacchaeus to change his life. But a miracle happened to his life that only Jesus could do. I'm going to go over three points. The first point is Zacchaeus climbed up the tree. The second point is Zacchaeus climbed down from the tree. And the third point is Jesus went up on the tree, the cross, for Zacchaeus and for you and me. Um, So please, let's begin with opening your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up 
and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will, pack, I will back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. My first point here is that Zacchaeus went up the tree. I like that Zacchaeus is characterized as a childlike person because he is small and he's also climbing up into a tree, which is kind of a juvenile thing to do. But he was so eager and he really wanted to see Jesus. He was very curious about what Jesus looked like and he probably heard about Jesus' miracles. I'm sure he heard that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He was just very curious about Jesus. And that's the way we come to Jesus the very first time. That's the way the scriptures say we must come is with a childlike faith. It's a feeling I'll never forget. We come with hope in our hearts. And it feels really childish because everything else as adults we can see and perceive and understand and our faith in Jesus and our hope in Jesus is something that we can't see. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So hope in Jesus never results in disappointment. There's a long line of things before you get to hope in these verses. Tribulation, and that brings about perseverance. And perseverance to proven character. I think that's very true to life because we come up against a lot of different doubts when we encounter Jesus and if we persevere through those doubts, then we can come to the other side and we can begin to hope in him. When we want to encounter Jesus, we're going to have to get out of our comfort zone. We can't stay in that mindset that everything has to be proven. Everything has to have evidence. We have to get out of that mindset and we have to have a childlike hope. Jesus loved children and children were very drawn to him because he was a safe place of hope for them. Proverbs 13 verse 12 speaks of hope too. It says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I love how this is such a good parallel for this scripture. Jesus decided when he was passing by the tree that Zacchaeus was in that he wasn't going to defer Zacchaeus' hope any longer. Jesus was probably thinking to himself, as soon as I encounter him, I'm going to call Zacchaeus down from that tree and he won't just be curious anymore. He's going to encounter me and his entire life is going to change. Thank God that he doesn't give up on us. There's a promise 
that if you ask, seek, and knock, in Matthew 7, verse 7, that the door will be open to you. I think it's amazing, with even the little hope that we have, that we can take that and knock a little bit, and the door is flung wide open to us. And the Lord welcomes us into his house. We just have to step over that threshold and decide, yes, we're going to pass through this door and our life is going to be totally different from here on out. So Jesus stopped and he spoke to Zacchaeus. My second point is Zacchaeus came down from the tree and Jesus came to his house. This was an act of faith on Zacchaeus' part. When Zacchaeus came down from the tree, he received Jesus with gladness. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, so he was despised by all of his fellow Jews. And to have Jesus come to his house was a very prestigious, and Zacchaeus was probably thinking from that point of view. At this point, he probably wasn't thinking, Jesus is going to turn my whole life upside down. He was likely thinking, I get to tell everyone that Jesus came to my house. When Zacchaeus and Jesus encountered each other, Zacchaeus encountered Jesus as a person and not just as an idea in his head. Zacchaeus came out on the other side of this encounter with Jesus as a completely different person. Zacchaeus was greedy. And Jesus knew all of these things about him. Jesus knew his name. He knew what he did for a living. He knew what all of his faults were and his sins were. And Jesus cuts right to the heart of it. I imagine Jesus' tone as he talks to Zacchaeus, as he befriends him, and as he shares a meal with him. It's a very personal thing to eat with someone and Jesus was always very, always very purposeful about the people that he ate with. Um, oftentimes, Jesus was just rocking the boat when he would go to eat with someone. He ate at other tax collectors' houses. He ate at Pharisees' houses. The fact that he decided to take the time to sit down and eat with Zacchaeus, it really affected Zacchaeus' heart. And it opened his heart up to the person of Jesus Christ. He likely started to think to himself, this guy is the son of God. He has done so many miracles. There are so many people that are hurting and broken. And he's deciding to take time out of his very busy and important life to come and sit with me and talk with me. I just started forming a picture in my head of how of Zacchaeus looking at Jesus and realizing how generous he is. Jesus came down, and he came down as a man. He was also fully God, but he decided to step down and become a person. That is the kind of generous God that Zacchaeus began to know. Zacchaeus' response to Jesus and Jesus' generosity was really practical. And it was also really extravagant considering that the scriptures say that he was very rich. Zacchaeus' response to Jesus was to give away half of his possessions to the poor and also to repay four times what he had taken from the people. 
if he had done anything to anyone, he was willing to give four times more in repayment. It's so much more generous than him just saying, I'm going to make up for what I did wrong. If I see someone who's poor, I'm going to try and help them. No, his response is totally extravagant. If we have an encounter with Jesus like Zacchaeus did, we come to know him as a friend, and our response should be extravagant too. Zacchaeus' response to Jesus is a very good example of how we should feel about Jesus if we've really encountered him. There's no way you're not going to love him. Your only response is to love this person that loves you so much, that he has given so much for us. If you love someone like that, it's really important that you spend time with them. Marriage is a really good parallel here. This is the kind of relationship that God wants from us. It's a daily relationship. We don't just get fulfilled on Sunday. It's, it's truly a daily relationship. The more we communicate with him, the stronger our bond with him will become. So how can we have this relationship with Jesus? My third point is Jesus went up on the tree, the cross for Zacchaeus. So how can we have this relationship with Jesus? Zacchaeus probably didn't know exactly what Jesus was going to do for him. But we do. We know what Jesus went through. Every single moment is recorded in the Gospels of how he was beaten, how his clothes were taken off of him, the crown of thorns, and to be scourged with a whip. And we know in great detail what Jesus went through for us. The scriptures encourage us to continue to search and continue to look at this and to behold it. Let me encourage you today. If you are up in the tree and you're hoping and you're curious, Jesus is going to encounter you and he's going to directly address you. And I just want to encourage you to respond with faith. I can tell you from my personal experience that life is so much better on the other side of a friendship with Jesus. He will never let you down. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can snatch you out of the palm of his hand. These are the verses and promises that we can cling to if you've made this step of faith. If you've climbed down from the tree already, and you feel like it really hasn't happened for you. I just want to encourage you because there have been many moments in my life where I've decided I'm going to put my faith in Jesus and it was a recommitment to Jesus where I've forsaken all other things. That's happened many times in my life. It's another work that he's doing in your heart if you've backslidden from that place of having a strong faith in Jesus. The only way to amend that is a recommitment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've really felt like you are fully guilty or forsaking Jesus, think of Peter. Peter denied Jesus. He said, I don't even know that man about Jesus, who was his best friend, his teacher. He loved Jesus so dearly, but he did the same thing. Recommit your heart to Jesus today. Read the word. 
Repent and turn away from your sins. And open your heart to what the Holy Spirit has to say. And he will take you from there. I pray that this has been an encouragement to you and it gives you hope. God loves you and thank you all for listening so well.